Amen. Thank you, praise team, for that reminder. We need Him, and He is our living hope. Praise God. He's worthy of your praise today. I hope you brought it this morning and you offered up the praise uh, that your heart has within it to give to our living God this morning. I want you to uh, turn with me in your Bible to 1 Timothy, the New Testament. 1 Timothy. And so our series title that we're about to begin is called House Rules. Now, I want you to imagine with me for just a moment being the first mate on a ship And the captain says to you, I'm leaving you in charge. The captain begins to explain that he's got business elsewhere. Then he hops overboard. But just before he hops overboard, he says, "Uh, there's a few holes in the ship. And by the way, there's a few guys on the ship. They hate me. They don't like you either. And there might be mutiny. And then he bails on you. Well, that must have been the way Timothy felt, being left in Ephesus. And so that's why Paul takes some time to write the book of 1 Timothy. God inspired these words for Paul to give to our young brother Timothy as he's pastoring the church of First Baptist Church, Ephesus. Well, we'd like to think it was that way, but it was the first church of Ephesus. If you think about house rules for a minute, I looked up this placard that I, I saw one of these one day. Um, there used to be one that was similar to this. It was at uh, First Baptist Church Faraday in the kitchen. But it said this. It says, uh, if you open it, close it. If you turn it on, turn it off. If you unlock it, lock it. If you break it, fix it. If you can't fix it, call someone who can. If you borrow it, Return it. Some of you, you're thinking right now, oh, i got to give that back. <laughs> Something in your garage or your kitchen, you need to give it back. If you use it, take care of it. If you make a mess, clean it up. Miss Barbara said, Amen to that. If you move it, put it back. If it belongs to someone else and you want to use it, get permission. If you don't know how to operate it, leave it alone. If it doesn't concern you, don't mess with it. And I, I think those are some great house rules. Well, you know, Paul is sharing these words with Timothy. And as he shares these words, you begin to see that Paul is giving Timothy words of encouragement, but also some words of admonition, saying this is what you need to do, and this is what the people of God need to do. So in what we receive from this book of 1 Timothy is rules or rules for the church, how the church ought to, how to, how it ought to operate. So these are house rules, not for your house or my house, but for God's house. Rules that, you know, we ought to live by as the people of God, how we ought to be able to live and function together as the people of God. And so I want to share with you rule number one today. And this is about the church's message, okay? First Timothy chapter one. The first rule is this. Keep the main thing, the main thing. Keep the main thing, the main thing. And you say, well, what is the main thing? Well, we're going to share, with that, share that with you in just a few moments. So I'm glad you're paying attention. Uh, go ahead and stand with me. 1 Timothy chapter 1. We'll read down to the first uh, seven verses this morning. Paul... An apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. To Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus, our Lord. As I urged you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus, so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculations rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. 
Certain persons, by swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now let us pause there, and we'll pick up the remainder of the chapter in just a moment. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for time in your word this morning, God. We humble our hearts before you, God. We ask for your, your ministry of illumination from your Holy Spirit to be active and evident today in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, that you would speak clearly to us and we would hear the words that you say. Lord, that we would receive with gladness the word implanted that is able to change us from within, save our souls, and Lord, also offer grace and mercy to those around us. Father, we pray that today we would be changed forever. God, that we wouldn't be able to stay the same. And Lord, that we would uh, be careful to be obedient to all that you reveal to us today, Lord. We thank you, dear God, for everything that you've done for us. Lord, we can't thank you enough for the blood of Jesus that was shed for the sins of our our souls. God, we just know that you love us, and we thank you for the for that. Lord, move among us now. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. And the problem with many Christians today is that they are unclear about their message. They either muddy the water up or they water the message down. One way or the other. And Paul wanted Timothy to be absolutely clear about what he was sent to Ephesus to accomplish. And part of that, the main part of that, was to deliver the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So I want us to think in terms today of what it's going to be like, what it, what it will look like for you as a Christian and for us collectively as a church, as Myrtle Grove Baptist Church, if we keep that main thing the main thing, and we keep focus on the gospel of Jesus Christ above any other thing, if we will do that, number one, our message is clear. Our message is... I'm sorry, that's, not, that's number two. I'm getting ahead of it myself. Let's back up. Our mission is clear. Our mission is clear. And so when we think about this, what God has sent us here to do, what our purpose here as a church is, will become clear whenever we keep the main thing the main thing. So if we look again in verses 3 and following, we see Timothy's charge that Paul gives him. And this word charge, it means it's a, it's a command about what must be done. It's an order. It's almost like a military order that's been handed down from a commanding officer. Now, Paul doesn't present himself that way to Timothy. Paul reminds Timothy how he's a father in the faith. But as a dad, I give orders to my children. <laughs> I do. They don't always follow them. But I give orders. I say, Caleb, the trash needs to be taken out. Caleb gets up and takes the trash out. And I, I will commend Caleb on this. I don't want to embarrass him this morning. But he is really faithful about that. And I'm thankful for that. But Paul says, my true child in the faith to Timothy. And reminds Timothy of the fact that he was the one that led Timothy to faith in the Lord, and that he was the one that discipled Timothy, and he was the one that laid hands on Timothy, he was the one that encouraged Timothy, and he was the one that sent Timothy to the church in Ephesus. And so, Paul's charge to Timothy was instructive. Here's the thing, we've all been given this same charge by God. We've all been given the stewardship that Timothy was given. We've all been given marching orders by the Holy Spirit to go forward with the gospel. To take it. So if you look at the content of some of this charge, he says, I char remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. So to confront the false teachers. Then you go down in verses 6 through 7, you see certain persons swerving from these have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they are making confident assertions. So these people are teaching things that ought not be taught in the church. 
And then he tells them to correct that false doctrine. He says, nor to devote themselves to myths or endless genealogies. He's telling them, listen, we don't, we don't need to follow those doctrines. So he's correcting the false teachers and saying, listen, don't teach that. And then he's telling the church, don't follow that. And he says, if they do, then what's going to happen is you're going to go off the rails. Certain persons are teaching these false doctrines and now they've swerved, they've wandered away into vain discussion. I can imagine what this is like. We take our, our focus, maybe we're a Sunday school teacher, or maybe a class, or maybe we're just a, a group of guys that get together and have coffee, and the discussion becomes something other than what God wants to focus it on, which is the gospel and what Christ has done for us, so that we'll be ready in season and out of season to share with someone else about what Jesus has done, and we start talking about eschatology. Rapture theology. We start getting into a debate about premillennial or postmillennial or amillennial. And I don't know what some of your Sunday school classes talked about this morning, but I think some of you were talking about some of that stuff. And... Uh, Maybe, maybe it might have gotten off of the rails just a little bit. But if we allow that kind of thing to be ongoing and happen over and over again, we wander off away from the truth into vain discussions is what he says. Literally what that word means, it, it's literally this Greek word that means empty talk or empty words. We're just talking about stuff that really doesn't matter. And here's the, here's the worst part of this. When we do this, a lot of times our emotions get heightened. And we start to worry about what people are thinking about us and worrying about what we're saying. And, and then we get upset whenever they disagree with us. And they don't see eye to eye with us about these trivial matters. And then it causes division between people. And what God wants us to do is to keep Focus on the main thing. Keep the main thing the main thing. And listen, when we get off track, now all of a sudden our heading is wrong and we're going to miss the mission that God has given to us as a church. Listen, what are we as a church? What was that church in Ephesus supposed to do? It was supposed to be an outpost for the gospel in a foreign land. And that's who we are today here on the west side of Pensacola. God has called us to be an outpost for the gospel right here on the west side of Pensacola. And you and I are called as missionaries here to this part of town. God has planted this church. 92 years we've been here as a church. God has planted us here so that we can reach this community for Jesus. That's what it's all about we got to keep that main thing the main thing and not be distracted by all these other things. So Paul tells Timothy to confront these false teachers and then correct the false doctrine. And then he tells, them to, tells him to pursue love. Now this is a central verse in all of 1 Timothy verse 5. It says the aim of our charge is love. Now, if you underscore anything in your Bible, go ahead and underscore that. Highlight it. Circle it, whatever you do. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. And so here's the thing. Paul is saying, if you have sincere faith, you truly believe that Jesus died to save you from your sins, and you have true and saving faith in Jesus, then you will have a pure heart. And then from that heart will come love that overflows. And Paul is saying, we're aiming for that in every single person in the church. That's what we want. We want every single person to have a sincere faith, a pure heart, and love that overflows out of that heart to the glory of God. We're not looking for people with correct eschatology. We're not looking for people that agree on all of the doctrines that we set forth that are tertiary. You know what that means? That means they're third level. We've got the top tier doctrine. And that is that Jesus Christ is Lord Amen. and Savior. That he, that he died, He was buried, and He was raised again on the third day and He's coming back again. We agree on that. Absolutely. 
But do we have to agree on pre-trib, post-trib, mid-trib? No. Do we have to agree about all of the discussions about the Old Testament and who wrote it and all those kind of things? No. Are those things unimportant? No, they're not unimportant. They just should not divide us. And it's not the point of our discipleship. What we're aiming for is a person that knows who Jesus is, has a sincere faith in Jesus, and then has a pure heart now because they've trusted in Jesus and He's given them a new heart. And now they go out loving Jesus and loving the world for Jesus. And that's what we're looking for. And Paul says, this is the aim. This is what we want. This is all we're looking for. This is what we hope for. And why? Why do we do all of this? And we're going to see this later. But Paul says it's for the glory of God. It's for the building of His kingdom. I love this quote from J.C. Robb that I came across this week. And I've just summarized it. and Put just a little part of it on the screen for you. But it begins this way. It says, a zealous man in religion. Now that's the old way of saying in Christianity. Okay? Is preeminently a man of one thing. It's not enough to say that he is earnest, hearty, uncompromising, thoroughgoing, wholehearted, fervent in spirit. He sees one thing. He cares for one thing. He lives for one thing. He is swallowed up in one thing. And that one thing is to please God. Whether he lives or whether he dies, whether he has health or whether he has sickness, whether he is rich, whether he is poor, whether he pleases man or whether he gives offense. Whether he is thought of as wise or whether thought is foolish, whether he gets blame or whether he gets praise, whether he gets honor or whether he gets shame. For all this, the zealous man cares nothing at all. He burns for one thing, and that one thing is to please God and to advance God's glory. If he is consumed in the very burning, he is content. He feels that like a lamp, he is made to burn. And if consumed in burning, he has done but the work for which God appointed him. Such a one will always find a sphere for his zeal. If he cannot preach and work and give money, he will cry and sigh and pray. Yes, if he is only a pauper on a perpetual bed of sickness, he will make the wheels of sin round him drive heavily by continually interceding against it. If he cannot fight in the valley with Joshua, then he will do the prayer work of Moses, Aaron, and Hur on the hill. If he is cut off from working himself, he will give the Lord no rest until help is raised up from another quarter and the work is done. This is what I say I mean of whenever I speak of zeal in religion. And J.C. Rao had it right. I want to be that kind of laser-focused missionary for the kingdom of God right here where I am. Well, if we keep the main thing the main thing, our mission is clear. Number two, if we keep the main thing the main thing, our message is clear. Paul reminded Timothy that the law was meant to be used correctly. It doesn't mean the law is evil, but some people in the church... And Ephesus began to teach the Old Testament law. And they thought making disciples meant teaching them all of the Old Testament. So just, like they could, just like if they were in Jewish school, in rabbinical school. That they would learn the Old Testament law and be able to regurgitate all of the things that they had learned. And now they're a good Christian. Well, folks, that's not what God has called us to do as far as teaching and discipling new believers. We're supposed to teach them the gospel and explain to them what God has done for them and help them be able to articulate the gospel of Jesus Christ. So let's look again with me uh, in verse uh, 8. Well, let's back up and picking up verse 7. It says, Desire to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. Now we know that, it, that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Understanding this, that the law is not laid down for the just. Now, who are the just? Let's just back up and let's think about that for a minute. How do we receive justice? How are we made right with God? We understand it is through the shed blood of Jesus that anyone becomes just before God. No man is just before God, save Jesus Christ, the only righteous one, the only just man. And so His blood makes us righteous before God. And Paul is saying the law is not for us. 
Now, listen to who he says the law is for. He goes on to say this. He says, it is laid down for the disobedient. Now, I've got, I've got a list of these, okay? So it's laid down for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and the sinners. Go ahead, Sarah, with the next slide. I think it's on the next slide. Yeah, there we go. The ungodly and the sinners, for the unholy and profane, for those who strike their fathers and mothers, for murderers, the sexually immoral, men who practice homosexuality. By the way, I didn't write that. That's in the Bible. And the people that want to tell you that, oh no, that's not a New Testament, that's not condemned in the New Testament. I'm sorry. There it is right there. Okay? I didn't write it, but, it, but Paul did, and he was inspired by the Spirit of God. Enslavers. Now this, I mean, we talk about human trafficking all day. Liars. How do you put liars in the same category? Perjurers. And whatever else is contrary to sound doctrine. Now if you think about all this list, you think about this list of people or types of people that Paul is talking about, all of these people fit into this big category that we could call the lost. Everybody say lost with me. The lost. These people are lost. Okay? And they behave this way because they do not know the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God comes into a person and He begins to instruct us and train us. But as we share the Gospel, we take the Old Testament law and we do what God intended for it to do, which is to show us that we are sinful. And that we need a Savior. That's why God gave us the law. He laid down the law to to show to us we are helpless without a Savior. We need someone to fix this, to remedy this, this problem called sin. As you look down that list, I'm sure your name could be written in there somewhere. I'm not going to say where. But somewhere on that list... You'd say, I'm guilty right there. Now Paul says there's another reason why we have the law as well. Because he says this is contrary to sound doctrine. And when he talks about sound doctrine, he's talking about the message of salvation that is in Jesus Christ. And he's saying all of these things are contrary to it. Why is your sin and my sin in conflict with the gospel? Here's the answer. Jesus died for that. So for, to, for, uh, to me, to continue in that sin is to be in contradiction to the message that I share. So if, I, if I'm going to engage in some of these activities and become an enslaver or a liar or a homosexual or a murderer or profane, if I'm going to do that, then I'm contradicting my witness for the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm living in the sin that Jesus died for. I can't do that. And so it's meant to call sinners to repentance, but secondly, to correct the backslidden Christian, to tell you, hey, don't live that way because Christ died because of those sins. Paul charged Timothy with promoting the gospel instead. So look at the next verse. He says, verse 11, In accordance with the gospel of the glory of the blessed God with which I have been entrusted. And later, Paul is going to say, I'm entrusting you with that as well. So the charge is to preach the gospel. Listen to what he says to the church in Corinthians. Church in Corinthians was a lot like the church in Ephesus. They were worldly and they did worldly things. And so listen to what he says to them. He says, for I delivered to you as of first importance what's most important. Now this is the message that we've been given. And this is the message that should be clear. That Christ died for our sins. You believe that? Somebody say amen. He died on the cross for my sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried. You believe that? Say amen. They put Him in a tomb. Y'all remember Easter? Two weeks ago? Then He was raised on the third day 
in accordance with the Scriptures. And that he appeared to Cephas. Who's Cephas? That's Peter. And then to the twelve. And then he goes on to say to, to 500 more believers all at one time. And then even, he says, to myself. Paul says, I saw him alive. That's the gospel of our salvation. And our message must be clear. Now, if we keep the main thing, the main thing. Keep our focus on that. Then when we get out there in the highways and the byways and we begin to live life among the people in the world, our message isn't going to be about, hey, you shouldn't wear that or you shouldn't eat that or you shouldn't drink that. It, shouldn't, it won't be about that. Your message won't be about, hey, are you keeping the Ten Commandments? The message is going to be about salvation in Jesus' name. And you're going to become a Jesus person everywhere you go and tell everybody you know about Jesus. And your message will be absolutely clear. That's what it means when Peter tells us to sanctify Christ Jesus as Lord in our hearts, always being ready to give a defense for the hope that is within us, yet with gentleness and respect. Now, that's what it means to keep the main thing the main thing. So if we do that, our mission is clear. Our message is clear, but thirdly, our witness is clear. And this is, when I say that, I'm talking about your personal testimony. Now listen, this is what we're going to get into in verses 12 uh, through 17. I thank Him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because He judged me faithful, appointing me to His service. Paul is one of the most thankful people. If you look at, his, look at all of his writings, he begins with thanksgiving, he ends with thanksgiving, he's always thankful for everything. And Paul responded with a heart of gratitude for the salvation that was given to him. He's amazed at what Jesus has done. Why would Paul be amazed about that? Well, he goes on to say, though formerly I was a blasphemer. This is Paul's confession. Listen to what he says. You see his thanksgiving, then you see his confession. I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and an insolent opponent. But I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Now you know the story of Paul. You know what he was doing. At the stoning of Stephen, the Bible says that the people that were stoning Stephen left their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. They left them there so that he could watch them. And Saul was giving hearty hearty approval to everything that was being done. Listen, hearty approval. You might would call Saul, formerly Saul, now Paul, you might call Paul an accessory to murder in today's court. And, And if you were to try Paul for being there that day and what happened to Stephen, you would find Saul guilty. Paul, you would find him guilty as an accessory to murder. Wait a minute, but Paul, you you just put yourself in that category that you just mentioned earlier that the law would find guilty. And Paul would say, yes, I was guilty. Then he goes on to say, but I received mercy from God. If you think about the mercy that Paul received, he says, I received this mercy, and what did it do? It it overflowed. The grace of our Lord overflowed in me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. I can imagine Paul's cup just overflowing every single day as he remembered the person that he was in his B.C. days. You know what BC days are, right? Before Christ. How many of you have some BC days? BC days? And you remember who you are, who you were before you knew Christ? Paul thought of that often. But he said, it's amazing that God would pick me and choose me. Because He judged me faithful is what he says. And that word faithful there in verse 12 just means trustworthy. God knew that He could trust Paul with the message of the gospel of Jesus. He knew that he could do that. He knew that he could give it to Paul and trust him with it. And that Paul would take that gospel message to everyone, to the Jew and to the Gentile. He would take that message. And Paul, he goes on to say, the saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Now here is 
Paul is going to outline the gospel again for Timothy. He says that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. It's interesting that Paul calls himself the foremost sinner here in this passage. That doesn't mean that... Paul's not saying that of all the sinners in the whole world, I'm the worst sinner that ever sinned. What Paul is saying is that his sin was so heinous and what he did he feels like he was the foremost sinner. He was the, the one that did the worst thing that he could do. And you know, whenever Jesus met him on that road, he said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Paul lived with that. And you can see that, that Paul, as he writes his letters, he, the more and more he contemplates that, and the more mature he becomes in Christ, you see that that sin becomes so obst- you know, uh, so horrible in his mind that he could do such a thing, such a horrible thing against God. He hates that sin. He says in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse 9, he says, I am the least of the apostles. And he, he says he's an apostle that's untimely born. He's not worthy to even be called an apostle, he says. Then a little bit later in his ministry, Paul says, I am the very least of the saints. Like, don't even, don't even count me as an apostle, just I'm the least of the saints. And then you see here, one of the last letters that Paul writes, 1 Timothy, he says, I am the foremost of sinners. It makes me think of the words of John Newton who wrote that song, Amazing Grace, that we sing, that we love so much. Listen to his words. He says, Although my memory is fading, I remember two things very clearly. I am a great sinner and Christ is a great Savior. See, for some of us, some of, some of us today, the reason why our testimony, our, our witness is not as clear as it could be. It's because for some reason right now, you think it wasn't that hard for Jesus to save you. You think that your sin wasn't that heinous, it wasn't that bad. For some of us today, that's, that's, what, that's what we're thinking subconsciously. And we never got, gotten down on our face before a holy God and say, God, I am wretched. I'm a wretched sinner. I don't deserve anything that you've done for me. And that's the place where Paul was. And the longer that he served Jesus, the more he realized he was unworthy of a single thing that Jesus had done for him. Paul said, everything that, was, that was, could have been credited to me, I count it as rubbish for the sake of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Paul knew that he was not worthy for Jesus to die for. And Paul imagined every time he thought of the cross, he imagined his sin upon Jesus. Well, that makes Paul's testimony all the more clear. And he says, And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This heinous sinner, accessory to murder, he's still breathing murderous threats on the road to Damascus. It's instantly saved, changed, set apart, made holy and right and just, given mercy and grace. Then he goes on to say, the saying is trustworthy, deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, As the foremost, Jesus Christ might display 
His perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in Him for eternal life. You live that way. Is your life on display for all the world to see what Jesus has done for you? Paul said, that's the reason. That's the reason I'm here. That's why I'm alive. And so that was Paul's calling. And then he goes into what we call a doxology in verse 17. As Paul thinks about all of that, he just has to stop and give praise for just a minute. Listen to what he says. To the King of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. The word doxa means glory. And so we call this a doxology. We see that Paul does that on several occasions as he's writing. He goes, wait a minute. We need to stop and praise God right here for what he's done. And give glory to God whenever you're witnessing. When you're sharing your testimony. It's not because you did this or you did that. It's because you were a great Savior. You are a great sinner. And Christ is a great Savior. So lastly, give you the last point here. Whenever we keep the main thing, the main thing. Not only is our mission clear, our message clear, and our witness clear. But lastly, our vision is clear. And Paul talks to Timothy about having a clear conscience. Having a head that's clear. Good conscience and holding on to the faith that he has. Look at verse 16. uh, Sorry, 18. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Timothy's... Encouragement for Paul from Paul was to continue to do what God has called him to do. To take this charge that God had given him. This mission to go to this mission field called Ephesus. And to correct the, the false teaching. And make sure that everyone knew that Timothy was a man about Jesus and nothing else. That it was all about the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's who the church should lift high. Not one man uh, over another. Not somebody's opinion, not somebody's doctrine, but simply the truth about who Jesus is. So Paul blessed Timothy. He handed down that stewardship to him. And we have this same word, this this word charge. We actually do this as a church. We give charges. And what we do, what we call that is ordination. But during the ordination, the, either the ordination council or a preacher or someone gives a charge to the candidate and says, hey, this is now your job for the rest of your life. We did that with Cody. You remember that, Cody? We gave the charge just too recently. Seared in your mind, isn't it? This is your job now. This is what God has called you to do. And so Paul is blessing Timothy this way. He's giving this. In verse 11, he says, God entrusted this to me. And then looking in verse 18 again, this charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child. So he gives that charge, hands that charge off to Timothy. That reminds me of this truth, is that older saints in the church, your job is not over. Your job is never over. You can't retire. Now here's what you do. Maybe you've been serving for some time. I've heard people say this. I'm not, I'm not working over there in the children's ministry. And I haven't heard people in this church, but I've heard other people say. <laughs> I have to make that caveat. I've done my time. I'm finished. I spent 20 years in children's ministry. I spent 20 years in youth ministry. I've done my time. Well, here's the thing. Have you trained someone else to take your place? If you've not trained someone else to take your place, you're not done. You can't be done. Because when you quit and you sit down, remember last week, the rest of the body suffers. 
And so Paul is fulfilling what he knows he's called to do because he has Ephesus on his heart and on his mind. And he doesn't want that church to suffer, so he's sending them a pastor because he can't be there. Every one of us, no matter who we are, if we know Jesus and we're serving Jesus, we call ourselves a mature Christian, should be training a Timothy to follow in our footsteps. So Paul's blessing to Timothy was, I give you this charge. And not only that, it was a prophetic blessing. Because he he goes on to remind him of the prophecies that were previously made. Now, whether they were Paul's prophetic vision or whether it was someone else's prophetic vision, Paul had a prophetic vision for Timothy's life and for the church in Ephesus. He knew that this was a vision that he didn't receive from himself, that it came from God, that God had a plan and a purpose for Timothy's life. Paul could have looked right over Timothy and he could have kept going straight head for with his mission and his message and done it all and just forgot Silas, forgot Timothy, forgot John Mark, forgot Barnabas, forgot all these other people and just been a one-man show. And probably because of Paul's charisma, he probably could have carried the show. But he knew that it wasn't just about him. He had a kingdom vision. He had a mindset that was about building people up and growing people and nurturing them in the faith. This prophetic vision, when it came to Paul, Paul knew that it was meant to be shared with Timothy. And if somebody walks up to you, listen, this happened to me one day whenever I was at Heinz Community College. I had a guy, it's a weird story, but I'm going to tell it anyway. had a guy that came and he was, I, I knew he was a, a young man of faith. He was always talking about church. We were in Bible class together. But he came to me one day and he put his hands on my shoulder and he said, I want to tell you something, Josh. He said, God told me last night to tell you that he has a special plan for your life and he's going to use you in a mighty way. And I said, God told you to tell me that? I'll tell you what, I've never forgotten that. I've always remembered that word. And I've held on to it. And and it's, it's lifted me up in moments of burnout and despair. When I wanted to quit, God said, I've called you. You can't quit. I've called you to this. This is your purpose. Some of you right now, you think that that made me special. But I want, you to, I want you to know, I'm telling you right now, here and now, that God has a special plan for you. For each and every one of you. He's called you for a purpose. He's planted you here. And He wants to use you in a mighty way. And you need a little bit of that vision. But what you got to remember is this. What makes you special is what Jesus has done for you. He didn't allow you to get thrown over into the trash heap, the trash pile. He redeemed you. And He bought you with a price. And He wants you to honor you in the body. While you're alive here on this earth, He wants you to use every moment, every breath you have for Him. And then Paul gives him two negative examples. He tells him to hold on to the faith, have a good, clean conscience, and by rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Paul had gotten a hold of these two guys at some point, Hymenaeus and Alexander. He got a hold of him one day and he put his hands on him just like he put them on Timothy. And he said, hey guys, God has called you. God has called you. And you know what they did? They swerved. 
earliest accident that I can remember. My mother was driving a green Subaru hatchback with the ugliest cars. The only car I can think of that's uglier than that car was the car that my mom had before that, which was like a Toyota Corolla, like a 1982 or something, Toyota yellow, banana yellow hatchback car. Stank. But anyway, I was... Back, back then, you didn't have to be in car seats and all that kind of stuff. And I was sitting in the back where the, you know, the hatchback area. My mom would go around the curve and I'd blah, 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 roll this way. My mom would go back around another curve and I'd blah, 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 that way. Well, there's one day we were going up over a hill. It's a big, steep hill. And it's in a, at the bottom of a hill. It's a curve. And there's a driveway that comes out right there. It's on Gunner Road, by the way. We're going down. He's the only one that knows where that is. Drew. He grew up in the same area. Coming down that hill, around that curve, and a car is pulling out of the driveway. And my mom swerved. Lost a little bit of control of the vehicle. Not total control, but enough that we ended up in the ditch. We hit the corner of the, uh, the paved driveway, concrete culvert. And the car came to a screeching halt. Everybody in the car had some sort of injury or pain or something. I laid down when I saw it coming and I hit the back seat. <laughs> and I was fine. But I remember that day, just that little bit of a swerve, a deviation off. Of, the car stopped, didn't pull out. It looked like it was going to come out, but it never came out of the driveway. My mom just swerved enough and got off the road. Accident. So Paul says, some of these people, by rejecting this, have made shipwreck of their faith. They swerved from the truth. They made shipwreck of their faith. Think about a ship going down. I mean, it's dashed on the rocks. The car goes overboard. The whole of the ship is broken to pieces. And Paul looks over there and he sees sinking in the water Hymenaeus and Alexander. And then he says, whom I have handed over to Satan that they may learn not to blaspheme. So Paul talks about these guys. He talks about Alexander the coppersmith over in 2 Timothy. I want to put it up on the screen here for just a second. Alexander the coppersmith did me great harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Beware, beware of him yourself, for he is strongly, he, he strongly opposed our message. It's like, what happened to you, Alexander? A man with so much potential. A man just like Timothy, a young man, who could have been, could have been a great apostle of the faith. What happened to you? He swerved just a little bit. He didn't keep the main thing the main thing. And now here he is at the end of the book and he's opposed to the gospel. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Christian, where in your life have you allowed something else to substitute. Take your mind's attention off of the main thing, which is the Gospel. How have you been distracted? How have you been unfocused? We talk to Jesus today. He's here, He's speaking to you. And He's saying, Get back on track. Keep the main thing the main thing. Maybe you're here today and say, I don't know who Jesus really is. I never really put my faith in Him. Can I tell you that there is salvation and no one else. You can search the world. 
But God has appointed this moment right now for you to be here today because He wants you to hear this. He wants you to hear that Jesus is the only way for you to be saved. And if you'll put your faith in Him for eternity, you say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. And I put my faith in You. And He will save you. And it's as clear and simple as that. But you've got to humble your heart before Him. So if you want to humble yourself and admit you're a sinner and ask Jesus to save you today, I want to invite you to do so. And I'm going to leave you in a prayer. So with your head bowed, your eyes closed, pray this prayer with me. Say, Dear Lord Jesus, I admit to you that I am a sinner. I've done things I know are wrong. And I haven't done the things I know are right. And I deserve the penalty for my sin. But Jesus, I believe that you lived the perfect life. You died on the cross that was for me, paying the penalty for my sin. And then you were raised on the third day. And you're alive today. You are Lord. I ask you to come into my heart. Make me a new person. Pour your mercy and grace into my life. And I'll spend the rest of my life loving you and serving you. Give me a home in heaven with you. I pray this in your holy name. Amen. I want to invite you to stand with me. We're going to sing our hymn of invitation. And during this time, this is your opportunity to let us know what Jesus has done for you. If Jesus has become your Savior and your Lord, don't hold that in. Let that message out and let us know so we can celebrate alongside you, so we can give you resources and encourage you so that you can grow in your walk with Jesus. If you're looking for a church home, there's no better place for you to be than Myrtle Grove Baptist Church. If God has put that on your heart, this is your invitation to come and join our church to love and serve the Lord Jesus. And if you just need prayer, our prayer counselors are coming forward. You use this time, respond to the Lord as He lays it on your heart. Let us sing together.